Good morning, Woodside. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Man, I am ear to ear. I am so excited to be back visiting with you guys and worshiping. Um, I immediately accepted the offer when Matt asked me, although I did try to play it kind of cool. I was like, you know, let me check my schedule. I don't want to seem too desperate, but um, I couldn't help but notice now that this is my second year running, getting to preach the first Sunday of the new year. If you remember last year, I preached the first Sunday of 2017, and now I have the great honor of doing it again in 2018. So here's what I'm thinking. If you guys might indulge me through the power of congregationalism and the people's vote, I motion that you guys motion to make me your new official New Year's guest speaker for the foreseeable future. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I know you guys have a members meeting this January. I think we can convince Matt. So if you want to make it work, we can do it. Um, I'm looking around and I'm seeing so many new faces. Um, for those who do not know who I am, I used to be a, a member of Woodside. And last year around this time, I was um, discerning and thinking about taking a call to youth ministry job up in Westchester. And then in March 2017, by God's grace and by your guys' sending, I was able to move there with Jenny and my two kids, Little Miss P and Noah. We've had an exhilarating um, time this past year. I've been so thankful to God and his uh, guiding wisdom. And I'm so grateful for Woodside and this church and for the family that I have here. Many of you supported, um, prayed, and struggled with us when we were going through some hard times. And I can tell you now with great assurance that we are loving it, we are doing well, we are well cared for, and God has been good to us through it all. But we do have the bitter sting of missing you guys and not being able to worship with you each Sunday. That being said, um, before I get emotional, this is actually a good time to segue to the focus of our time together, of course, God's Word. So, would you turn your copy to the scriptures, uh, of your, the scriptures, to Genesis chapter 12, and would you allow me to pray for the message this morning? Uh, gracious God, I am so thankful to be here. I am, I am so pumped up from the worship. I'm so happy to see all these people and all these faces and just, Lord, the love that connects us all. It is through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Many of us wouldn't have, uh, what you would say, things in common, but we do have one thing in common, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have this gospel message that unites us through different um, adversities, through different things. And so I pray that you would give me strength this morning to preach a word that would encourage your people and that we would become more faithful servants of your Son, Jesus. And I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. We will be looking today at the story of Abram from Genesis chapter 12 through 15. And to give you an idea of where we are in Genesis, two chapters ago in Genesis chapter 10, it concluded some of the events of the flood and Noah and the ark. And then in chapter 11, you can read about the scandal of the Tower of Babel, followed by a genealogy of Shem, Noah's son, leading all the way down to our um, topic today of interest, Abram. By the way, and this is a shameless plug, if you've never heard Vijay Rajwani's sermon on Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, I highly recommend you go look for it, because I don't know any brother other than Vijay who preaches um, Old Testament narrative and expounds the scriptures in such a way that just leads me and fills my heart with the gospel of grace. So please check, your, check it out on podcast. I don't know where it is now. You can ask him maybe. So random tangent, sorry. Um, Abram 
before be, uh, being better known as Abraham to most of you, is a descendant of Noah, 300 to 400 years after the flood. And after years of apparent silence, God picks up his story and continues with Abram. As we read through this narrative today, this historical account, I want a question to be floating around in your guys' mind. Do you believe God? And a slightly more specific than this question, do you believe in God? I'm not asking that. I'm asking a more specific question. I'm asking you, do you just believe God? Do you trust what the God of the Bible says? Do you depend on his word to be true in your life? Do you believe God when he speaks to you? To help you follow along today, I've broken down this sermon into two sections. One is Abram's plan. The second part will be God's plan. So first, Abram's plan. How many of you, if God came to you tonight, into your room, and spoke to you, would listen and obey whatever God told you? What if in this encounter with God, he told you to buy a one-way ticket to some remote area of the world, to some indigenous people group, and he told you that you would become the greatest missionary of the world? Would you listen and would you go? Now, I want you to really think about that for a second because you've got no other information but to go and to preach the gospel to a people who don't speak your language, who may try to kill you, You have to leave your entire family and friends and life behind. You might get sick. You may even die. But God says, go. I will be with you. Would you believe enough in God to go? Do you trust in God enough to go? And do you desire what God wants enough to go? I think if that really did happen to me, I would absolutely positively say, no. No, I would, wait, how long should I pack for? Um, Is this going to be for a long time? Do I have to sell all my stuff? Uh, What about my future plans, God? What are all the things that I have in my mind that I want to do? I would want to know a little bit more than what you're giving me. This is a good mindset to have as we pick up our story with Abram in Genesis 12. Now, we don't know much about the life of Abram before God speaks to him, but according to the end of chapter 11 in Genesis, like I said, a few hundred years have separated Abram from the events of the flood. God has been silent. No recorded talking, no preparation, no build-up to the anticipation of the conversation God is going to have with Abram. Terah was Abram's father, and he dies at a nice old age of 205. Abram is 75 years old, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God shows up and speaks to him. Here's what God says in Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What do you think Abram does? Without question, Without much else, Abram's like, cool, let's go. Where, where are we going? This is crazy, crazy, radical obedience. I mean, that's the way that it's normally preached, yeah? Though he knows little of who God is, he decides, sure, let's go. 
God speaks and Abram listens. That might be some good application for us to draw from, but I'm not so sure Abram is so upright as we are led to believe. If you take a closer look at the text in verse 4, Abram is 75 years old. 75 and no kids. In chapter 11 of Genesis, every man before Abram, all of his grandfathers, they're having tons of kids. And they're all starting at the age of 29, 30, 31. They're probably having like a kid a year. They've got tons and tons of kids. Abram is 75. Him and his wife have a problem. They can't have children. Maybe, just maybe, I'm speculating, Abram has a better offer with God than if he just stays where he lives right now. Abram is not the firstborn in his family. He doesn't have an inheritance coming his way. He's got tons of brothers. And he has an issue. He can't have children, even if he did want to carry on the family legacy. And all of a sudden, a talking deity shows up in his life and says, Hey, that mediocre life that you got there, I got something a little bit better. We're going to make you the greatest nation. We're going to make you the best name, right? So why don't you come follow me? I would take those odds, right? All I'm saying is maybe at this moment, Abram is not as spiritual and as radical as we thought. Maybe he's just a little desperate. Whatever the case may be, he picks up his belongings, his family, his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and he travels with his whole family in a completely random direction, because God doesn't say anything, and he comes to this land of the Canaanites. Now these Canaanites inhabiting the land, this, this might be a problem. But God breaks the silence again, and he speaks to Abram, and he tells him, hey, you're on the right track. Chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And Abram builds an altar there. He worships God. He memorializes this moment. Again, outstanding character. But I'm not so inclined to think so. Is Abram completely trusting in God? In my opinion, I think he starts to go off the tracks here a little bit. If I were Abram, if I had no idea which way that I was going to go, and then God appeared to me and tells me, this is the land I'm going to give you. I think I would consider staying there, right? I've arrived at my destination. The story of Abram is over. But it doesn't say that. He doesn't stay in the place that God speaks to him. In verse 8, it says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. Maybe for Abram, he looked at the land, saw that it was inhabited, maybe it wasn't that fertile. Now, this isn't the best God. Maybe he thought, oh, I've got to wait for these guys, other inhabitants, to move out. Maybe he heard of a better land, just a little bit farther. Maybe he thought, God, if you're going to make me a great nation, I actually know where we should go. So it says, he builds another altar to the Lord, and he calls upon the name of God. And in verse 8 says, and here's the rub. The Bible never indicates that God ever talks to Abram and gives him an answer. God doesn't show up, speak to Abram, and confirm the location. God, let me, let me build an altar right here. Let's expand some of our territory. This is good real estate here. Now, in my mind, Abram should go back to where God did speak to him. Were you guys ever kids before and used to play games of hot and cold, right? The closer you get to something, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. And the farther away you move, you'll be getting colder. I think this is a cosmic game of hot and cold. The closer that Abram gets to this place that he wants to be, 
God speaks to him. And the further he moves away, he's getting colder. But Abram just keeps doing his own thing. He keeps trucking along. Now the next part of the story really leads me to believe that Abram was not making the right choices. He is in the land where God speaks to him, but he keeps looking for something else. We're not sure what it is, but the text does introduce another problem. Verse 10, a famine hits the land. Now Abram's got two choices at this point. He can go back to where God spoke to him, wait upon him for him to provide and to speak again, or he can keep going the way that he was going and go forward toward Egypt, enlist the help of men. Seems practical, seems logical even, maybe even wise. But not knowing what God is doing is one thing, but it is another thing entirely to trust in men and not even consider consulting God. No matter how practical, how clever or prudent you think a decision might be, it is always unwise to not seek the counsel of God. And I believe God is speaking to us in this narrative. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The Bible makes clear here, this is where things get a little dicey for Abram and his family. This moment seems far from the radically obedient hero of the faith that we're so used to hearing about. The text says that his wife is beautiful, and he is really worried that Pharaoh is going to kill him for his wife. He doesn't consult God. He doesn't even ask for help. He tries to be street smart, clever, cunning. Sweetie, why don't we pretend that you're going to be my sister, right? Hear me out. And then we'll get through the famine, and then they won't kill us. And then, right when the time is right, we'll just bounce on out of here. We'll get out of here. I'll find you or something. Sounds like a really good plan. <clears throat> Except for the fact that he's endangering his wife by exposing her to lawless, godless people, lying and exploiting the most powerful ruler in the area and the people of Egypt, and then totally disregarding God, who is leading him to the land of his inheritance. But other than that, Abram, this is a really good plan you've got going. But before we judge too prematurely our brother Abram and his folly, I must ask of you all, have you ever compromised others to save your own skin? Have you ever jumped into a decision without consulting God because the benefits just seem too obvious to pass up? Do you ever find yourself using God's word as a confirmation for you to pursue your plans of life instead of letting God's word dictate how your life ought to be planned? Or to say that another way, do you define what is good in your life? Or does God get to define what is good in your life? For example, many people like to read and memorize verses Jeremiah 29 through 11. The Lord has a plan for you and for you to prosper. And you think, great, I've been waiting for someone to notice my genius. I have a long list, God. I want this house. I want this salary. I want this boyfriend or girlfriend. I want this college, this GPA. I want to be this successful but not too successful, I want to be humble about it, but you know, just give me something that I can work with, right? I want to be liked. I want fill in the blank. So you decide, I'm gonna trust in Jesus. I'm gonna believe the Bible and the gospel because just like Abram, you think, what do I have to lose? God is gonna bless me and make me great and everything's just gonna be about me. And then all of a sudden, after your spiritual high wears off, you thought, where's the good life? 
God seems silent all the time. I'm not connecting with him. Life's really hard still. This new life with Jesus has not really changed anything. Where's all that good that you thought was coming your way? You see, I think Abram had a vision for what he thought the good life God promised was going to look like. He wasn't content with what God had just shown him and who was going to give him. He wanted to see if there was something else, something a little bit better. Weigh his options. Maybe the grass was a little bit greener. So he follows his own plan, expecting and hoping that God is just going to be on his side. Is that how some of you feel today? Is that the reasons why you might have one foot in the world and one foot in your faith with Jesus? See, it's not that you don't believe in God. Most of you probably believe in some kind of God. But you just often don't believe God. God, do you really have what's best for me at heart? Am I really supposed to give up this lifestyle, these habits, these influences to be a faithful Christian? And because we're so unsure, because we don't believe God, we just play this like little middle ground thing. We just do our own thing, we make it up as we go along, hoping that God is just a random cosmic force for good in our life. But God has not left Abram Abram or us in the dark. We are given exactly what we need with the information God gives. Here's the expectation I think God has for us. Whenever God speaks, we should carefully listen. We should meditate and ponder on the truths that we come across from God's word. Because when God speaks, he actually gives us all we need to know to act in faith. If we are unsure, or if you're confused, I do not recommend trusting your gut feeling or your inner compass. You listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 3.6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. So what happens to Abram? Chapters 13, verses 1 and 3. Pharaoh luckily doesn't kill him. His wife doesn't get abused. At least we don't know from the story. He gets out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had. And he journeyed on from Nagab as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. Now this verse indicates the circumstances that Abram found himself in led him all the way back to that second altar that he erected and asked God for help. He himself found him, he he himself was forced to move back toward the place where God spoke to him and wanted him originally. Abram needed a famine to set his course straight again. Are you experiencing a famine, dryness in your life right now and in your faith? Could it be that there is a famine in your life so that you might turn back to God? If God is all-powerful, might it just be that the famine, the struggle, the hardship in your life right now is from God? It's God-ordained. God is sovereign. The famine didn't just come out of nowhere. Maybe God is sending it to you to remind you to get on with his purposes and not yours. Or maybe God will use this to strengthen and grow your faith. Whatever it may be, The question is, do you believe God enough to know that it will be okay, ultimately, when we believe and trust in his word? The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, Proverbs 16, 9. So what is the purpose of God then? 
What is God's plan for Abram? And where is God trying to lead us? My second point here is God's plan. Despite Abram's moral failure, whether from either doubting God, traveling away from the land, lying about his wife, not consulting God, just pick one. God is and remains faithful. At this point, perhaps Abram catches God's drift. And he settles at that second altar that he started at. And lo and behold, Abram and Lot experience continued prosperity in the land. So much so that they begin fighting and quarreling, their shepherds are. So Abram doesn't want to fight with his nephew. He says, look to the east, look to the west. Wherever you want, I'll go the exact opposite. So his nephew looks and goes, wow, that's the Jordan Valley over there. It's well watered. I think I'll take that side. Great, Abram, no quarrels. He sends him off, right? Good choice. But this pushes Abram further back into Canaan territory. And after separating from Lot, what do you guys think happens? He is brought right back to the land where God originally spoke, off, spoke to him and left off. Now, I can't help but feel that God purposely held back from interacting with Abram up until now so that God would have him right where he originally wanted him. And this got me thinking, where does God want you and I to be so that we might hear from him? Here in our pews, in our homes, and even in your pockets, there is a daily copy of God's word. Are you using it? How often do we wish to hear from God, have direction in our life, to find motivation and joy in Him, yet we so often turn to the Egypts of the world? We think that a person, a place, a job, a relationship is going to bring us where God wants us to be, rather than seeking and trusting God's promises in Christ and His Word to dictate how we ought to think, behave, and live and feel. Do you know that God's word tells you about the promise of your inheritance in Jesus Christ? I believe God is silent for many of us, or we feel it that way, not because God has not provided his word or his opinion on that matter in your life, but we just simply don't want to take God at his word. We do not believe in the good found in the promises of God or the consequences. So God doesn't have much else to say or to add until we start believing what he has already told us. To hear the voice of God and to hear him speak, we must be near the word of God, but we must also believe the word of God. It is only back where Abram started in Canaan that God speaks to him again. In verses 14 through 17, God promises again to Abram the inheritance, the land. If you observe, if you pick up the dirt of the earth, the sand, and you're able to count it, that's what your inhabitants will be like. And for a time, this is all that God gives Abram. Time goes on. Abram's getting older and older and older. How will God make good on his promise? See, Abram needs a son. In this time period, having a son to inherit and carry on the family name was the most important thing in this culture. What will become of my family and my future lineage? Right now, Abram's getting old. Biology is failing him. And doubt begins to creep into his mind. A servant, someone from outside of his house, if Abram dies, will collect his estate and his possession. And then God's promises up until this point would have been a lie. 
But God is good on his timing, not Abram's. Let's pick up in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. And here's the important verse that everyone loves. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Abram finally believed. All the previous times that God spoke to him, the Bible never says anything about the faith of Abram. But this time, it's different. I wonder if Abram has no agenda now. There is no other plan. It's either he believes God or he's doomed anyway. And he simply believes in this moment. He takes God at his word. And in the moment, Abram receives the gift of faith. Yet despite this new belief in Abram's life, he asks the all-important question that I'm sure some of you think. He asks, verse 7, chapter 15, But he said, O Lord God, how? How am I to know that I shall possess it? How can we know? How can we know that God is ultimately for us, that his word is true, that his promises are real, that we're not just following God in our faith randomly into the dark. As if anticipating the question, God asked Abram to bring him a bunch of different animals, some cows, some goats, some rams, and some birds. And Abram cuts them all in half, and they become a sacrifice. And he separates each animal in their half and forms like, I don't know, like this weird death path thing. I'm not really sure, right? You guys can picture it, right? God puts Abram to sleep. And then verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. Imagine that, just like a pot and a torch, just like going through the pieces. What just happened here? You see, God just made a really crazy promise to Abram. Abram asks, how will I know you will give me this land? How will I know that I can trust you, God? How do I know that you're going to follow through with your plan and my ultimate good? God makes a covenant with Abram. Now, a covenant is not an ordinary promise. A covenant is a legally binding agreement between two parties that they enter into. It's not like a simple promise like one of my friends said today, hey, I'm going to come to Woodside to hear you preach, and then they don't show up. I'm not bitter. Whatever. <laughs> right? This promise, right? If you break this agreement, this contract, there would be extreme consequences to one or two of the parties. Some of you know Harry Potter. Some of you know I really like Harry Potter. In the book, The Half-Blood Prince, Draco, one of Harry's schoolmates, is asked by he who shall not be named. 
to kill Dumbledore, the headmaster. Now, Draco's mother doesn't think that her son, Draco, can do it or should have to do it. So Snape, the potions master, best character in the whole Harry Potter universe, triple agent, he makes an unbreakable vow with Draco's mom. Here are some lines from the movie. Harry tells Ron, hey, Snape made an unbreakable vow. I found out. And Ron says, I'm not going to try to do an English accent right now. An unbreakable vow? Nah, he can't have. Are you sure? And then Harry says, yeah, I'm sure. What happens if you break it? And Ron says, you die. God appears before Abram and says, you want to know how I will show you my word is sure? You want me to show you how perfect my promise is? You want a guarantee that I am Lord God and I will see my plan to the very end, that I am for you. Well, God's word could have just been enough. It carries power. It carries authority. It's the God of the universe talking. God goes the extra mile to solidify Abram's trust. And he sends his one and only son to solidify yours. Abram kills these animals. He lays out their bodies. It's gruesome. It's violent. There's darkness. There's blood. The stench of death is in the air. And the unthinkable happens. God condescends and walks between these animals through the blood, enters into the gory scene, and God forms a covenant, an unbreakable vow. If I, God, do not deliver, if I do not give you this land, if I do not bless you, if I do not keep your family lineage alive, if I don't follow through with my promise, my plan, my end of the contract, then let me be like these animals. If I don't keep my word, I will die. I'll pay the price. And on a day, many years from the promise that God made to Abram, God would lay down his life. He would die for his promise. He would fulfill his ultimate plan, not just for Abram, but for us all. God always keeps his word. Not because he broke the vow, mm -mm. but because by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, the vow, the contract, the agreement is fulfilled. Abram needed a son. And God will give him a biological one in chapter 21. But Abram needs more than a biological son. He needs a promised son. One that would save and deliver his future children. A promised son who through him would bless all the nations. Because of his sin, he needs more than an heir to claim his estate. He needs a savior to save his soul. A son from his lineage who would die for the sins of Abram, the sins of Israel, and for our sins. Abram is not the perfect man after God credited to him righteousness for believing him. And neither are we when we believe. But Abram is not the hero of the faith because he believed in God. He is a hero of the faith because of who he placed his faith in. He didn't just believe in God. He believed God. And my ask of you today is, do you believe? More importantly, do you believe in God's Son? The moral of this story is not to be more like Abram, but to believe in the God of Abram. This story points to the fact that the plan of God always wins out, which is why you and I need Jesus. Jesus 
never once doubted God. Jesus never once veered away from the path that God sent him on. Jesus trusted and and obeyed the plan of God to take your sins, to nail it to a cross, and to die for self-centered planners like us. Now, because of Jesus, God was faithful not only to Abraham, I'm Abram, he he will become Abraham, but to us. Christ has secured with us a new agreement, a new covenant with God, that whoever would believe in the death and the resurrection of Christ would be saved and have fellowship with God forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made by God to Genesis 12 through 15 to Abram, and Jesus is our promise from God that through him your biggest problem is solved. For those who trust and believe in the promised Son, your soul is kept in heaven where no famine, no struggle, no person, no thing, no wilderness, no rust, no moth, not even you can corrupt it. So what should your response be to God's promise and His plan? Repentance and faith. Repent for all the times that you hear God, but do not listen to Him. Repent for all the ways you doubt and go your own way. Repent for all the ways we minimize the sacrifice and the necessity of Jesus in our life. Repent for listening to the other voices that don't point you or lead you to God. Repent of the ways that we trust men more than God, that we trust ourselves more than God. And then, after you've repented, enjoy the joys depending on Christ. There is no shame when we show our weakness for God's Power is made perfect in our weakness. Repent and believe that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ's death in your place is enough. Don't stray from God and look for other saviors or other things. Don't go looking for something better, something more interesting, and divert from the plan. Humbly wait, seek, and acknowledge God in all of your ways, in all of the decisions and choices that life throws at you. Because all you need and more is found in Jesus. Don't be like Abram. Don't go looking for something different or better or interesting. Draw near to Jesus. Seek him out. Cling to his promises. Trust in him ultimately. That whatever circumstance, struggle, hardship you face, God is with you in Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that you're going to take away from this sermon, I hope it's this. So if you fell asleep, wake up. (laughs) The takeaway is this. If you venture away from Jesus and the gospel, you will find God silent. Because you don't get God unless you have Christ. So I ask all of you again, do you believe God? Do you believe God when he says, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will you take God seriously and believe not that he just exists, but would you believe what he says? That these words, this Bible, this God, this Jesus are true, and you can bet your life on them. God cares for you. He loves you. And he asks you to lay down all of your plans in exchange for superior heavenly ones. 
Do you want to know and believe what he has done for you, what he did for you, and that what he will do for you when you make him the center of your life? Can you say with Peter in John 6, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. God may not ask you tonight and come into your room and say, you're going to become the greatest missionary in the world. Let's go. But what I do know that God asks you right now in this moment is this. Give up your sin. Turn away from the world. Forsake your plans and trust wholly in the name of Jesus. Don't settle for your short-sighted plans. Believe in the long-term promises of God. Having Jesus, trusting in Jesus, unlocks a thousand different joys that can only be had by forsaking your sin and your plans and trusting in His. God doesn't need your willpower religion. God doesn't need your good morality. He needs you to believe in His Son, Jesus. Jesus rescues you. Jesus offers real life and plans worth pursuing. Do you believe in God? Do you trust Jesus? I hope that by His grace and His power, you do. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, I confess, Lord, there are so many ways that I plan out my life. I do things, I accept offers, I make decisions without even acknowledging you because I just think, what sane person wouldn't want these things? But Lord, if there's anything in our life that would steer us away from you, if there's any way that we don't acknowledge you, that we are trusting in ourselves and not in you, I pray that you would remove those things and you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear to trust in your gospel and to trust in your son. I pray that the main thing people walk away with is not that they need to revamp their life, make New Year's resolutions and all these different things. I pray that they would turn to Jesus for salvation that they would know the comfort and the joy, that they would not seek you simply for the gift, but they would make you the treasure of their hearts and of their lives. Lord, would you be with us? We are so thankful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.